the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. And what a day we have. Oh, man. You're going to want to listen to this one a couple times. This is the Wink, the Daily Wink, what you need to know. If you want to re-listen to it, go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there uh, for the Daily Wink, which will get you an email at 5 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, And also, you can go listen to these segments again. And here's the point on this one. Today... I mean, it's just unbelievable to me. There's so many things happening. Excuse me. It's August uh, 20th. And, um, you know, when you think of the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin, you think to yourself, who's going to clarify what's happening? And and, and not who. You know I'm going to do it. But you say, how is he going to clarify? Because there's so much going on. So I'm going to run through some stuff, and then I will get to what you need to know, then really hammer it home. It's going to be surprising, because you might think what you need to know. You might think, well, is it about uh, Obama giving a speech, condescending, nervous, uh, angry last night? No, nobody cares. The DNC, the convention is amateur hour. It's, um, it's, uh, it's Jurassic Park and amateur hour. It's looking back. It's not really working. Kamala Harris, she's Again, mark my words, pardon me, when they look into the numbers on this, when they look back on history, they'll say, huh, she was supposed to add something and she's taking away. She wasn't popular when she ran for president by herself. She's not popular running for president as Joe Biden's uh, president to be. So it's not going to happen. She's and she's actually going to when they look inside the data, you mark my words, they're going to say, huh, why did African-American men vote for Trump in higher numbers? Part of the reasons, Kamala, they're going to blame it on Biden. That's what happens. These these people, they blame the, the wrong person to try to throw you off. When they look at it and say, why did uh, Hispanic Americans, uh, the, uh, you know, the citizens that can vote, vote for uh, more of them vote for Trump than ever? And the answer is last night they showed how illegals get to cut the line. Illegal aliens cut the line. So anyway, I'm not going to talk about that, though. And, and I'm not even going to talk about how last night, <clears throat> pardon me, at the um, Democrat National Convention, they said the Pledge of Allegiance and they said it wrong. Well, they didn't say it wrong for them. They said it wrong for America. The, the, the Pledge of Allegiance includes the line under God, the, not even the line, the phrase under God. It was added in 1954 by Congress, and it was an acknowledgement of our our, 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 our our real commitment to the fact that God looked out for us in World War II and forever. And last night at the Democrat National Convention, an activist did the pledge and purposely, you could see it on his face, omitted under God. So now, you know, four years ago, or was it eight years ago, they voted God out of the platform. This year, they're not even saying under God. They can't even bring themselves to say under God. So that's, and by the way, I think that's, um, I think that's actually sort of a violation. It's like flag laws, though. I'm not sure you can get prosecuted for it, but it's a violation of the law. That's not the pledge. So anyway, it doesn't matter. But here's the, here's a couple things that we want to pick up. Um, my friend Rob McCoy, he's the pastor of Godspeak Calvary Chapel in California, near Tho- uh, in Thousand Oaks, California, near L.A., He's being hauled before a judge tomorrow in California state court because Pastor Rob McCoy of Godspeak Cavalry Chapel Church held church. And they said, you can't hold church. Doesn't matter. We don't care. We'll hold you in contempt. So he'll be in, in, in front of the court and he'll be risking a fine. That's probably the most likely thing is a fine. But he could risk uh, jail time. It's possible. 
So we'll pray for him and uh, keep an eye on that in the press. They're not getting much press yet, but Governor Newsom of California, all the way he's cracking down on everybody, giving in to the left and cracking down on the right. He's got this pastor, Rob McCoy, in jail, excuse me, in court tomorrow morning. We'll see if he goes to jail. So we'll be praying for him. He's a great guy. He'll do fine. Pastor Rob McCoy, he's a a fighter and a trooper and just a great... um, Servant of the Lord, so we appreciate him, and uh, and of course I will. I want to acknowledge this and just mention, you know, uh, Steve Bannon appears to have gotten in some trouble. I've known Steve for I don't know four or five years, really since the campaign in 2015 when he was at Breitbart, and we did a bunch of issues on issues. We we're very closely aligned with Breitbart and others, so my organizations and me. So I got to know him. He's a very nice guy. I'd say he's a friend, I guess, friendly to me. And uh, so I'm I'm watching this and thinking, huh? Sure looks like targeted. Sure looks like they're going after people that are on our side of the aisle. And I read the indictment. It doesn't sound very good, to be honest. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sorry for Steve, and I'll keep an eye on that and, uh, and just want to, um, you know, again, acknowledge uh, somehow they are able to find cases against uh, people on our side of the aisle pretty readily. Um, so we'll see. But anyway, it's not a, good, not a good thing. I'm sorry for him, and we'll see. All right, but here's what you need to know today. And, you know, we're going to talk in the next couple of days. We're going to talk with my friend Paul Kenger. Dr. Paul Kenger has got a new book out. And I want to talk to him about his book. And we're going to talk a little bit about different things uh, later on. Uh, I can't think of if it's today. I'm, I'm looking at this. Yeah, we're going to talk with uh, David Thomas Roberts about uh, the idea of uh, enacting more monuments instead of tearing them down. Right. Instead of instead of saying you're going to be offended by everything, let's put up more monuments. Let's put up monuments to the things that people are excited about that have to do with American success and exceptionalism. Let's not tear down our history let's let's celebrate more of it so anyway we'll talk with him about that and in this case what i want to tell what you need to know right now is we have to look backwards and learn and then look forwards and take action and so what i'm talking about is this there was a story that i read uh in the wall street journal i believe it was about a non-profit american non-profit that raised a bunch of money from who knows who, although I have a guess, and did an interact and, and created a partnership with Wuhan in China. And when the federal government went to them and said, hey, we need some information on this, the nonprofit said, we can't comply. We refuse to comply. And here's what looking back is. In 1952 in America, there was the Reese Committee of the U.S. Congress, and there were a handful of fearless investigators as well as congressmen. The Reese Committee went in and looked at the foundations, Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, all these foundations that had set up that to be nonprofits that were being used by the Soviets to infiltrate America and influence policy. And, and as we went through the period after the World War II, we realized the Soviet communists were infiltrating America in our, uh, in our um, government, for sure, in our business, in our academia, and in our nonprofits, and especially, and I'll talk about this in a minute, in our media. So um, as we studied that, we said, well, the Soviets, these guys, these people are ambitious. And frankly, back then, when you look at the history, they were mostly focused on government and then these academia and some of these nonprofits. So there wasn't as much of the business. It didn't work as quickly. It wasn't there wasn't as obvious a a trade component. It was more that they were trying. The Soviets were trying to convince the American people to to continue to uh, deal with them as if they were friends instead of as if they were bitter enemies. And so you know how that turned out. Well, here's this article in The Wall Street Journal about American entities that are refusing to participate in stopping on addressing the Chinese threat, the communist regime's threat to us. 
And my point is this is we have to change our mentality. And I've talked about this for three straight days. I think you you may be getting tired of it, but it's so important. Uh, We have to change our mentality towards these entities that are being used against us. The largest entity trying to damage America. They're doing it in our military, in our government. They're doing it in, in, in industry and they're doing it in nonprofits and academia is communist China. By the way, there are others that we need to be aware of. I mean, there are others that we have to be smart about. But China, the communist regime, is the real threat. And as we go forward, we need to have leaders in office at every level who recognize that problem and are willing to name that problem. You know, knowing your enemy and naming your enemy is is not not half the battle, but it's part of the battle. It's sometimes the biggest hurdle to beginning the fight for your own uh, for your success. You can't have success until you name know and name your enemy. And in this case, the enemies among us in these entities. And so you see this and you shake your head and you're like, well, wait a second, we're we're dealing with a situation and some of I think the data and I, look, I don't know the details of this nonprofit. So maybe maybe the nonprofit says, you know, we make uh, baskets. Why are they asking us about Wuhan? I think they do stuff that has to do with data that related to the to the uh, pandemic. But but no matter what, my point is, let's dig into it. Let's change our mindset, because I can tell you in the swamp, you can't, you know, shake a stick without running into a nonprofit that gets money from the Chinese communists. It's all over the place. So you go to Stealth War, the book by retired, uh, uh, retired General Robert Spaulding, Stealth War. And he'll, in there, he talks about how this has happened. So what you need to know is we have to, oh, and, and here's another example. Soros and, and foreign money, Soros is American citizen, unfortunately, but Soros, they're funding a lot of the Black Lives Matter Antifa stuff, and nobody gets to the bottom. It's all nonprofits. We have to, conservatives, be fearless about pursuing the truth on these important issues and getting clear-eyed about what's happening and what it means and how it's going to work. That's a big deal. This is, this is what we have to do. So that's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we got a lot of guests. we got some great guests today. I mentioned... Um, we're going to talk about monuments. This is something that I've been looking forward to because my dear friend Helen Marie Taylor is down in Richmond. And uh, we're going to talk with David Thomas Roberts, who's got an organization, a patriotic group. They're going to uh, erect more monuments. They're not going to tear them down. They're going to erect more monuments. Then we'll talk with Paul Kenger. I think we're going to do two uh, lengthy interviews with him about his new book. It's called The Devil and Karl Marx. And I want to talk about his book. And I was talking last night. I've been, there's too much in it. So we may go two segments with him. We'll see about that. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. And I have a very interesting guest. I've been looking forward to this. Many of you heard me speak for months and months about Richmond, Virginia, where my great friend, uh, uh, Helen Marie Taylor, also the chairman of the board of the organization for which I worked, an amazing lady, 96 years young, and she uh, has been standing up for the monuments that they're trying to tear down in Richmond. And one of the things a few years ago that she said was to, to, to a, a testifying before the state house, uh, I forget which chamber in Richmond or maybe a committee. She said, let's have more monuments. I'm for more monuments instead of less. So stop taking down monuments. Let's put some more up. Well, David Thomas Roberts, who is a, uh, uh, well, he's a businessman first, a successful uh, entrepreneur and CEO, but he's become something of an activist and an author. And he's got a, a few books out and, uh, and different things happening. But I was so intrigued when I got this message that he was um, going to help start an effort to put up more monuments. And the website is 2x, two times, monuments.org. So first, 
First of all, sir, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm doing great, Ed, and thanks for having me. Well, great. And so how'd you come to this issue? I mean, how'd you come to the idea? I mean, what, what tell, what, walk me through the background of this. Well, really, for me, it started in 2015 after the Dylan Roof murders and those terrible murders in the church in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's when we really started seeing a concerted effort originally going after the Confederate monuments. But like many of us, I, I knew it wasn't going to stop with Confederate monuments. And then the George Floyd incident and is an excuse now to do everything from going after you know thomas jefferson to george washington to abraham lincoln to world war ii monuments to even the virgin mary mm. and um mm-hmm. and i'll tell you I, I think the turning point for me ed was when watching them with the ropes attached to andrew jackson right in front of the white house with cops standing by doing nothing and um tearing, tearing us down so uh we 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 pulled a bunch of folks together um we created a 501c3 we have no paid staff and our goal is to put up twice the number of monuments that they take down. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I want to point out something to you that you might not know, but there's a famous American patriot from Delaware named Caesar Rodney. And if you don't know Caesar Rodney, my listeners and all, he was he, they were deadlocked. The, the, the delegation to the Constitution, to the uh, Declaration of Independence was deadlocked. And Caesar Rodney rode from Delaware, Wilmington, all the way up to Philly to break the tie between there were two. There were two delegates, one for the declaration and one against. And he went up there, broke the tie. He, he has a, had a monument. He's the most famous Delaware citizen in the in, in history. He had a monument up in Rodney Square until a month ago, and then they tore it down. And they forget what he did, and they say, you know, he was a bad guy. And I just point out, about a mile and a half from that square, Rodney Square, Joe Biden will accept the nomination for president. And you know what he did for 35 years? He praised uh, Caesar Rodney, Joe Biden did, and he hasn't said a word since they tore down the, the statue. And by the way, they didn't just tear down Caesar Rodney. They tore down, for good measure, Christopher Columbus had a statue nearby. So, David, I, let me ask you about the, the, the headwinds you face. Do you think that um, do you think that people are too afraid and I'm being serious to come up for uh, and show their face on this kind of question? They mostly just say, well, I'm not going to fight over that. I'm just going to go, you know, Helen Marie Taylor, my friend, she said, where are all the men standing up to this? I mean, are we are people afraid to stand up? Ed, you, you hit the nail on the head. In fact, um, in the last legislative session in Texas, and I'm, I'm Texas based. Uh, we're fighting for yeah. a Monument Protection Act in there, and and we saw this with the Republicans too. They 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 run scared from this issue. They're so afraid of being labeled or being called a, a, a racist. It's actually worse today uh, than being called being called a terrorist. And so they run from this issue, and and they they think it, it, it's a loser. But I'm telling you, it's not. There's a there's a poll by Harvard and uh, I think it was Harvard and ABC that did a poll on this. Sixty eight percent of Americans don't want the statues to come down, even Confederate statues. So there's been two hundred eighty four of these that have been taken out since the George Floyd incident, either uh, by the mobs, by the communist Marxist mobs of the BLM and the, and the Antifa, or um, mm-hmm. in most cases, it's the Democratic mayors and city councils in, in these areas that um that are complicit have been taking these things down and so when when we went and fought this thing to get a, a, an act passed in texas to protect the monuments within the state which by the way passed the senate the senate but failed in the house for the exact same reason that you're talking about um and, and people are running from this issue so uh 284 statues but the most of these statues have been taken out by in the middle of the night by cowardly mayors and city councils 
um, under the guise of something different. You know, they're protecting the, the, the public or whatever whatever excuse they use. So our effort, number one, is to recover those statues, to offer to buy them, to pay their costs that they took to take them down, and to reestablish those on private property that, for private citizens that will give public access. And we've got a tremendous response from that. We raised, we, we've got commitments to raise over almost a million dollars in three weeks, and we're getting donations mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Daily basis. What, what do you what do you want to what kind of statues are you going to put up? I mean, who, who are some of the people? How are you going to decide to do that? I guess well, is my point. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll give you some statistics. Um, the number one statue has been taken down so far by far has been, been Christopher Columbus. Number two has been Robert E. Lee. To us, it doesn't right. make a difference. Um, you, you know, whether it's Thomas Jefferson, whether it's going to, this is not just about Confederate monuments or it started. And, and, and there's been a heavy concentration, but it's not just the Confederate monuments. It's, you're seeing that bleed over into everything. And, you know, Karl Marx said that uh, uh, people without heritage are easily persuaded, and that's what you're seeing happen. It's the result of 70 years of, of liberal, progressive public education. None of these folks know their history. We even had a statue in Austin, Texas, of the blues guitarist, um, Stevie Ray Vaughan that got uh, uh, desecrated because they thought he was a come cop. on. I mean, it's it's cra- oh no, you- <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> wow, crazy. That's 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 that. that well, that's what. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, did you know there's 17 monuments to communist leaders in the United States? The biggest one is up in Seattle. It's a 17 foot tall, 15 ton statue to Vladimir Lenin. And if you go to the mm. city of Fremont, the suburb of Fremont, and, and where they uh-huh. were, this is on public property in Fremont, they're, if you go in there and find out why they have a statement on there, why they have that on there, it's because they, it has nothing to do with a political statement. They just appreciate the art. But, of course, mm-hmm. that's not the same tolerance that's given to statues around the country, especially Confederate statues, or, or any founder mm-hmm. that may have owned slaves or said something that somebody now... Um, he thinks that they're more enlightened than the than the, uh, the people at the time who put these statues up. So it's just gotten right. crazy. And we've got letters out to, to uh, cities and mayors all over the country, and you should see some of the replies that we're getting back. The, 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 the truth of the matter is most of these, these uh, mayors and city councils don't want these statues to see the light of day anywhere, not even on, on private property. So they're going to destroy wow. them. They're going to they're try to forget about them, make them go away. It is uh, it is amazing to see. Again, we're talking with David Thomas Roberts, a, a successful businessman, entrepreneur who is uh, also an activist, is, writes books, and, all, and recently started an organization. Uh, if you go to two xmonuments.org, two xmonuments.org, uh, the nonprofit is uh, twice the monuments uh, is the idea that let's put up more and let's have more history, teach more about our history. It seems to me to be a smart idea. All right, let me ask you a, a question about um, the uh, the. Um, uh, the education, you know, we're seeing our kids and there's a little shift on you, but we're seeing our kids, many not go back to school. Uh, I mean, some, some people say that's probably better at this point. I mean, there's a, you know, the, the, and, but I, I, David Horowitz on the program the other day and his, his answer to me when I said, maybe we're going to break through this and be into a new dawn. And he said, I don't know. And I'm worried because our kids don't know history and they're fooled by all the emotion of today. How big a problem, David, is it to even make people understand what you're trying to do? Or, or is there a real uh, silent majority that's out there waiting for leadership? No, I, I'm real concerned, Ed, because even if you go back, and I remember even a few years back watching Jay Leno late at night, he'd go to the UCLA campus, 
and, and talk to juniors and seniors and ask them what the three branches of government was and nobody could name them. I mean, so right. the, we, we, we really, we probably have a couple of generations that are, are civically illiterate and historically illiterate. And then now you've got the, with the 1619 Project and everything's going on, uh, America is pretty much taught as, as bad. Uh, there's that, that it's, they're out to destroy American exceptionalism of any kind. And, and uh, you know, we're not perfect. Our founders weren't perfect. Not, you know, nobody said anybody's perfect. But but um, what's being taught and in, in, in what you're seeing come to fruition in the streets is people have been taught that America is bad. And, you know, so if kids aren't in school, it, it may be like these, you know, like our state legislature who's only come, they only meet once every tw- two years, which is yeah, first yeah, do right. no harm. First do no harm, right? You yeah. can't do any harm. Yeah. Right. You would be surprised no. because when my children were young, I was reading their their history and civics textbooks, and it was shocking fifteen years ago. So imagine what's in them today. Yeah, it is a worry. Well, listen, hey, keep us in the loop and uh, and come back on the show and let us know. Again, it's a very interesting project. I'll put it all up on social media. I appreciate you very much taking the time uh, to do this as well as to talk about it and get out there. I'm sure you get some cross-current from people, too. David Thomas Roberts, again, uh, the organization is Two Times the Monuments. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me. And just remember, nobody, no, there's no paid staff at 2X Monuments. All volunteers. Great. Th- Great. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Have a great day. We'll be, we'll, we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Now, our next guest, an old friend, he comes on the show pretty frequently, uh, Dr. Paul Kengor, who is a professor up, up at Grove City College. And uh, if you look at his books, and I have most of them on my shelf here, um, one of the books is uh, is really, uh, might be the good primer for this, is The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism, which came out a couple of years ago. And then another one, which I is a favorite, he often corrects me because I usually use the wrong title. It's called Dupes, How America's Adversaries Manipul- Have Manipulated Progressives for a century that's a couple years ago but his newest book which is one i want to talk to him about in depth here is called the devil and Karl marx and it's out just a few days ago and uh and you know it's published by tan books available wherever you get books uh, everywhere i'd say with his um so welcome back dr kengor how are you and and let me ask you this to start out how, what made you write this book i know you're an expert and you've written a lot in research but this is very specific about uh so why'd you write this one well, thanks, Ed. Yeah, it's good to be with you again. Well, you know, I've written – my first major book was called God and Ronald Reagan. That came out in 2004. And I did a book called God and George W. Bush. I, did, I even did a book called God and Hillary Clinton, <laughs> which my conservative wow. friends are surprised to yep. hear that. But, <laughs> but, but, but the point is, I mean, you know, none of those were worshipful. They weren't, uh, you know, reverential. They, they were spiritual biographies of people. And and in the case of Marx, you're not going to write the devil, or you're not going to write uh, God and Karl Marx because Marx didn't believe in God, uh, said some really nasty things about God, was an atheist, and but really alarming. Ed and people don't know this; they don't know this. Marx wrote about the devil. He wrote plays. He wrote poetry. He wrote some really chilling stuff. And plus, you know, you know, the phrase the devil and Daniel Webster and so forth. So, so you know, the, the title fit, the devil and Karl Marx. And, and, and I'll give you just one example of many. Yep. This, this, is Mar- this is Marx's poem, The Pale Maiden, 
which he wrote in 1837. And, I, and this one, Ed, I think is so fitting because it's almost autobiographical for Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. He wrote, Thus heaven I forfeited. I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. Chosen for hell. Wow. And, yeah, I know. And, and for Marx... Who, who became a Christian as a young man, and then he forfeited that. His soul, once, hmm. once true to God, he, you know, he, he, he pushed that aside. And I, I quote in the book a, a number of people, including, you probably remember this name, uh, Pastor Richard Wormbrand, uh, who was yes, yep. Portrait for Christ, right? He actually wrote yep, a book yep, yep. in the 70s. Yeah, he wrote a book called Marx and Satan, and, you know, Wormbrand makes the case that Marx was involved in possible black masses, seances. I never found any evidence of that. But, hmm. but I am very careful to say in this book, you know, you don't, you don't want to overstate your case, but you don't want to understate it either. And when, when people read some of the stuff that Karl Marx wrote, they're going to be shocked. And I'll tell you, young people in particular, and not just young people, older, older people who had Marxist professors in college, um, who know that young people today support Marxism in really alarming numbers, they're going to feel betrayed. They're going to say, why didn't I learn this? Right? Uh, you know, yeah. We've known this for 100 We've known this for 150 years. Where, you know, what, why didn't I know? It, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, Margaret Sanger speaking to the KKK, right? Why didn't I know right. this? Well, I don't know. She wrote about it in her 1938 <laughs> memoirs, right? right. Uh, you blame yeah. the liberal professor, blame the liberal media. That's actually who you can blame for this. But it's, it's really chilling stuff. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor, and again, the book is called "The Devil and Karl Marx." Out just a few days ago, available everywhere you, you get books. Um, so, uh, Marx. One of the things about this that's so that's so interesting to me. I, I was texting you or emailing that I, I recently was. I don't remember reading it the first time, but I know I had the book, a copy of "The Naked Communist," which is the 1958 sort of classic by uh, yeah, Leon Skousen. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and when you, when you yeah, when, when, and what he does in that is he it's kind of cliff notes in a way, but but directionally he's conservative. It's very short summaries, but his summaries on Marx and Engels and how miserable Marx was as a person. You know, you mm. you, you know, like 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 hagiography of of everybody who's supposed to be important. You think, well, Marx. I mean, he was this you know kind of revolutionary guy. He was a miserable person. They say, and Clausen reminded me in his book. You know what what was the when you was was he was he um, was it his worldview of people that got him all the way to this point, or did he get himself caught in the materialist thing as, and then he he sort of went that way? you see what I'm saying like he was he was he evil before he got this worldview or did his worldview send him down that path well it's probably a combination of both, and in fact, how miserable he was he he suffered from boils all over his body. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and part yeah. of that, it, it, it's funny reading some Marx biographers, right? The hagiographers, and they're they're saying, "Well, I don't understand where where he got these from. He, he got them Ed, from refusing to bathe. The, the, the guy didn't take a <laughs> bath. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, kicked out right. of apartments because he stunk. His family right. begging him to to bathe. Right? And this is no secret. You don't wash your body, you're going to get boils. He had them all over his backside. He had them all over his all over his private parts. He used to write to Ingalls, say, um, at least one thing that the bourgeoisie will remember about me is my carbuncles, 
right? Uh, <laughs> and he, and he, yeah. he said in one in one case he was so miserable he had to lay on his side in the in, in the sofa in the living room where again he's not making any money. And he and he told Ingalls he, he said uh, quote the devil has been hurling and I can't use this word excrement at me right wow. the devil has been hurling. Wow excrement in my head. All hmm. kinds of references to, to the devil. Um, he, his favorite line, which was repeated in a, in a number of his writings, was, was from Faust, uh, Goethe's Faust by Mephistopheles, the devil character, yeah. who said, everything that exists deserves to perish. Everything that exists hmm. deserves to perish. So he, he had a miserable private life and uh, he made all the people around him miserable. Two of his daughters committed committed suicide in suicide packs with their sons with, with their with their husbands. Uh, yeah, it, that it, was. Yeah. <laughs> this is not normal. I mean, this is not not that experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it it is not a normal. This is not normal. And so but back to your assessment here, um, do you think I mean, you, I know you didn't find evidence of, of his of devil worshiping. But do you think I mean, really, what, what's the what's your what's your proof? In fact, one of the reasons I asked it, we're talking with Dr. Paul Kengor and his book is uh, The Devil and Karl Marx. I thought when you looked at, say, Judge Clark and and um, and Reagan and others, you had a way of saying, look, this is what you can see about these people, how it points to what they were like. You can't you, actually you knew some of them. I think you did. I think you interviewed Judge Clark. But I mean, you, you know, you, you're sort of saying, what can we see about their lives that informs how we understand who they were? So when you get looking at this and you say, well, he's writing these poems and all, what was he mentally disturbed? Was he possessed? What, what is your sense of it? Well, it's a good question. And, and, and Robert Payne, who's, who's probably, probably, the, probably the most respected Marx biographer, and he did, he did a famous biography of Marx in 1968. And, and, and Payne was no, no right-winger, Ed. I mean, he was a respected literature professor, a man who focused on poetry and, and, and the arts. And he actually says flat out, Quote, Marx had, Marx had the devil's view of the world and the devil's malignity. Sometimes he seemed to know that he was accomplishing works of evil. Sometimes he seemed to know that he was accomplishing works of evil. And, and he actually says, Payne, Payne actually says that, that, that he thinks that Marx, here it is, I was looking for the exact quote because I didn't want to misrepresent it to, to your listeners. Quote, there were times when Marx seemed to be possessed by demons. There were times hmm. when Marx seemed to be possessed by demons. So Paine actually wrote that in his chapter, The Demons, in his groundbreaking, seminal 1968 biography of Marx. And even the sympathetic hmm. biographers of, of Marx, they will tell some chilling tales about him chanting lines from Faust about uh, wow. the, 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 the letter from his the letter from his father where where he says um, oh, I, I got to get this quote from you I know I shouldn't do this uh, on, on on the air but uh, this one is really striking okay here you go this is Karl Marx's dad Ed you ready for this yeah he's writing yep. to Karl Marx March 2nd 1837 he's writing to his son and Karl since that heart of yours is obviously animated and governed by a demon, not granted to all men, is that demon heavenly, or is it Faustian? Or is it Faustian? <laughs> wow. 
right? And, wow, and, wow. And, and some of this, yeah, some of this, to be fair, yeah. it seems like maybe people are being ironic, maybe they're being playful right. with it. Although I got to tell you, I mean, I never saw any references no, like that no, no. in the life of Ray. Yeah. Hey, hey, uh, 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 Dr. Ke- Dr. Paul Kenger, let me take a, I take a break. We'll come back and continue this. I sure. want to. It's the devil and Karl Marx, communism, long march of death, deception, and infiltration. I got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When the Supreme Court passed down their 6-3 decision in Bostick v. Clayton County, America got a dangerous dose of judicial supremacy. As the nation grapples with the culture war over giving privileges to transgenders, six unelected judges decided to step in and declare their opinions supremely more important than the rest of ours. They began their opinion by posing the deceptive question of whether an employer can fire someone simply for being homosexual or transgender. That's not a proper question for a federal court to ask. The Supreme Court is supposed to be limited to passing rulings based on the Constitution, not whether society should be one way or another. It was equally improper for the court to then answer its own misleading question. The phony question incorrectly implies that federal courts can and should create new rights whenever a handful of unelected justices want to do so. They should have asked whether Congress has commanded the federal judiciary to recognize special rights for transgenders and homosexuals to sue in federal court, which, of course, it has not. When Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, delusional liberals thought that it settled the issue of abortion once and for all. Instead, it converted the judiciary into a political football and caused confirmation hearings to become theaters of the absurd. Now, unelected justices tell Americans that the court has decided the culture war concerning special rights for transgenders, so everyone should just accept this elite teaching and fall in line. In reality, the opposite will take place. That doesn't change the fact that members of the court very clearly have an agenda. On the same day that the court rendered its decision giving extraordinary priority to cultural liberals, the court denied 10 petitions by Americans who've had their Second Amendment rights infringed. Rights that are actually in the Constitution, like the right to bear arms, are not as important to liberals on the Supreme Court, or so it seems. Our founding fathers never intended for judges to legislate from the bench. If we're going to have a conservative Supreme Court, we've got to reject judicial supremacy at every level. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped, or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the Constitution or the will of the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never-elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So I um, I want to give you an update, and I want to give, no, I want to uh, help you uh, understand when we talk about when I talk about the pro America movement, I talk about how important it is to have pro constitution judges, pro constitution elected officials, and we talk about that. I like to give you examples of this, right? So, in the in the wee hours, the wee hours, the wee hours of the evening yesterday, I was forwarded an email 
And it, it gave me uh, this uh, opinion that came down. I guess it came down two days ago, but nobody noticed it until uh, until this morning. And it is a, a case in the Fourth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, which is based in Richmond and includes, I think, Richmond, North Carolina, uh, maybe South Carolina, uh, could be West Virginia, but it's mostly sort of around D.C. and going south. Um, a Court of Appeals, and so it was a case that was appealed by, uh, and it's the case is. Um, uh, is called Ar- Argueta v. Barr. So Barr is, the, of course, the attorney general. In this case, Argueta is a guy who was convicted of multiple drug offenses while he was uh, in America from El Salvador legally. And then he wanted to stay. And he was told, no, you can't stay as a lawful permanent resident if you have these convictions. So he was told you're going to be deported. He fought the deportation and was hoping he could get a sympathetic, I don't know, a sympathetic administration or sets of judges. Here's what I want to tell you. Two things. Number one, since President Trump got in office, there has been an effort to do more of the deportations and more of these uh, of fighting back against this lax immigration system. Is it perfect? No. Has it been as much as we'd like? No. Have we built all the wall? No. But it's directionally right and it's progress. So this is progress. But here's where it's important for you to know. Two of the judges on this panel, a three-judge panel, were Trump appointees. One was an Obama appointee, but it was unanimous. And the reason it was unanimous is because about a month and a half ago, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a different case, Barton v. Barr, A.G. Barr, it ruled, the Supreme Court ruled that you don't get to have an appeal in these kind of cases. So the lower court did what they're supposed to do, which is deferred to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said that's what it means. Then we have to do what they say. This is a big deal. This is a point about having judges who uh, are, are conservative, who understand the Constitution, the rule of law, and abide by our Constitution. And also, at the lower court, in this case, they defer to the judgment. They're not renegades. Not like the ni- in the old days, the Ninth Circuit, which is California, it, it, you would see these renegade judges. And it's changing, by the way, pretty quickly, uh, the Ninth Circuit is, because of appointees. But this is a huge success. And this is the kind of success that we have to identify and try to make clear to our fellow citizens because this is what a president does. One of the things the president definitely does is appoint judges. And have the power to appoint judges who are, you know, directionally one way or the other. You know, if you're if you they're not always raging liberals, they're not always exactly as conservative as I would be, but they're directionally headed in the right way. And that's the reality of what we just saw in this case. Now, I sent this to a friend of mine who's got a little bit of Ann Coulter in him, and he's still mad that President Trump hasn't built all the wall. And my answer is, look, I am, too, except now you have to pick. You have to pick between two competing visions. And although you may wish that you could have a more conservative uh, set of policies enacted already, the comparison between Joe Biden and his administration, if he had one, and this administration is stark on this issue. Last night, they had about a 15 minute segment with uh, three illegal, I guess they weren't all three illegal uh, immigrant Americans. There was one that was born here. So the mother and her daughter came here illegally. So the daughter, who's handicapped, is claiming she's DACA and she can't get into DACA because I don't know why she didn't register in time. And Trump said, we're going to close that out. He gave everybody a chance to register. She didn't register in time. Now she's complaining. There's got to be some point where some laws and rules apply to everyone. But then the other sister. So there's two young women and a mother. The other young woman was born here. So she gets to be a birthright citizen. It's insane. That rule. We should change that rule. We shouldn't change it. We should say it's not the way the rule is. 
Nobody intended that. No sane nation no in the world, no sane nation allows people that walk into the country who have a baby. A woman walks in the country pregnant, has a baby, and the baby's a citizen. This is the dumbest thing ever. And we've done that for decades and years, for 50 years, 60 years. So anyway, these two... And the two women and then their mother speaks only in Spanish. And she says she's entitled to be here. She's entitled to health care. She's entitled to all this stuff. You look at it and you say, how? I'm not, by the way, I'm not arguing. I'm, I'm, I want to argue a pre. I want to make a, a point before we say about what somebody's worthy of it. I want to say, what's the mindset that people get to claim tax dollars and, and benefits from America because they just got here? Well, what's the mindset that thinks that's appropriate? You know, you can have an argument, by the way, about whether you want to have more immigration or less. I want to have a lot less. I want to have almost none. But certainly you can't have the idea that you allow the claim that I get health care. My daughter, who's not an American citizen, should get government paid health care. Why? Where's the claim? I mean, where's the basis for the claim? Just out of thin air? How would you pay for America? What would you do to pay for an America that had anyone who wanted it get here and demand health care. How do you run that? And the second part of it is, what kind of mindset is it that you think it's okay for people to come to America, claim things, and not the, the, the mother didn't even particularly sound like she was assimilating in America. Now, again, that's not automatically. There's plenty of stories of, of people who, you know, a grandmother who sort of stays in the old world in terms of mentality. But, you know, you, the point here is we're talking about what's the, what's the reason to have immigrants, the reason to have immigrants is because we want to add people to our wonderful country and have them become Americans. Not that we want to have people come to our country and change our country into their country. And if you're not willing to stand up and say that, you get people get nervous. That's just the reality. That's the reality of a nation. That's what's at stake. All right. Well, uh, that's you, you watch that more and more. You talk about the difference between the two uh, parties and the two administrations. All right. I got to run, though. Thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah, for keeping us on track. And also, Joanna Book and the guests. We'll be back tomorrow night, as always. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.